So uh, I was, I, you know, I, we do a charity meal with the family um, uh, every Monday night. And uh, we, I've talked about that before. And while it uh, was meeting at uh, Tutillo's over the summer, it's been meeting at Coventry Christian School in, in the uh, pavilion there, like picnic style. And uh, so they bust some people in who uh, are in need and serve a great meal. People bring really good food. Really good food, and it's a, it's a nice spread, and uh, and so the way it usually works, you know, everybody's hustling, trying to get everything set up, and then people sit at the different tables, and then they dismiss people from the tables to come up to the serving line, and they get served. Well, we were hustling, trying to get everything, and we're just about to dismiss the first table, or maybe the first table is already dismissing, I don't know, and but I go walking past one of the other tables, and a guy, I'm walking past, he grabs my arm, and I stop, and I look at him, and he says, get me a plate, and I was like, uh, what? <laughs> and he was like, give me a plate. And I'm like, what do you need a plate for? He's like, give me a plate of food. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I said, well, you know, we'll wait until um, you're, it's time for your table, and then I'll, I'll be glad to get you a plate of food. So I went and got him a plate of food and when, I, when it was their turn, and I bring it back. And then he – and the guy had – he had, um, like, a, something going on with his leg. He couldn't walk, you know, so he couldn't get his own food. And um, and then – so I bring it back, and uh, – and before I could even set the plate down, I was going to ask him if he wanted something to drink. But he said, get me a drink. And I was like, ow. This is like getting less fun. And, <laughs> you know, and uh, so uh, it was really funny because I, I, I was just about to ask him, but he beat me to the punch by barking the order at me. And, of course, you know, the visceral reaction that, you know, most of us who are, are humans, especially, uh, you know, with egos and stuff, is like, you know, that's hard to handle a little bit. But, you know, we're here to bless. That's the whole point, right? And it's not, we're not blessing, we're not here to get banked. We're here to bless. This is what God calls us to. But there's this question that popped into my mind right at that moment. And um, I was like, what is kindness? What is kindness? Because, you know, when I was getting ready for this message, I just, the first thing that pops into my mind when I think kindness is the word nice. That's the first thing. And I asked my, I asked around my family, you know, I asked each of the boys, and I asked Jan, what, when you hear the word kindness, what do you think of? And, and of course, like, Colton, that's what he said, first thing, right off the bat. That's kindness. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's nice, right? But then there's moments where it's like kindness goes a little further, doesn't it? I mean, you don't want is it is it always good to enable difficult behavior in people? You know, if people are being really difficult, and you just act like there's nothing wrong with it ever, and you just smooth around it, and they can kind of continue on. Is that actually being kind? I mean, if someone has schmutz on their face and we don't let them know because we're being nice, is that kind? Or is being kind telling them? You know, there's that kind of thing. And so kindness asks a deeper question. It doesn't say, am I just being nice? It says, am I doing Am I, am I, am I doing what's best? Am I helping out? And what does helping out actually look like? becomes a question. In certain situations, you have to ask, we have to ask, what does it look like to be kind? Well, so I, I decided I got to define what kindness is, not in on Monday night. That was a different scene. We'll get back to that. If I don't get back to it by the end of the sermon, because I got lost, you can say at the end, Tim, what happened on Monday night? Um, so, but I, I decided later on as I was studying throughout the week, what, you know, what is kindness? And I, and I just started looking through the scriptures and, and trying to, to find this word kindness. Well, something weird happens in the scriptures when you look through them uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that a word kindness that's in the New Testament and the word kindness that's in the Old Testament, you realize they're not actually the same word, right? 
because one's written in Hebrew and the other's written in Greek. So it's actually two different words. Now, they might have similar meanings, but they might not be exactly the same meanings either. Because in any language, when you translate this word to be this word in the other language, it overlaps, and they're pretty close. But then sometimes it means like a little bit more or a little bit less. Like, you know, the the plural, the plural form of you in, in the U.S., what is it, Michael? There it is, y'all. Yeah, I was going to say, Michael, what is it? We heard Michael, yeah, or, or we'll hear Boyd say it, you know. And so our, our friends from down south will tell us what the plural form of you is. But up here, we don't use that plural form of you. Sometimes people use another plural form of you. Uh, it's not, yeah, it's not quite as, like, uh, acceptable as it were. You know, it's not like the it's, – it's not general English as, as y'all is down in the south. But if you go to another language, then you'll actually find that there in other languages there's a plural form of the word you technically in the language, right? So then when you translate you – from English, when you translate another another language and you see the word you in the scriptures, I have to go back to the Greek or back to the Hebrew to figure out, is that a plural you or a singular you? Because I might just assume that it's a singular you, but it might not be. And it changes the whole meaning of what a command of Jesus is, whether he's speaking that I'm supposed to do this or we're supposed to do this. And that gets lost in translation. Let me tell you why all that's important. The same thing can happen when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Because it's two different languages. So what was so what was kindness in the Old Testament is a word called hesed. And in the New Testament, completely different word. The word in Galatians 5, Christostes. It's good, totally different language. Okay? And and actually, when I was reading the Old Testament, I was like, there's something different about this term. And every time it's used in the Old Testament, it seems to be used differently than the way it's used in the New Testament. So I dialed up our resident uh, Old Testament scholar, Josh. Who's, you know, he does Old Testament Hebrew languages, his studies and everything. And I said, yo, tell me about this word. And he's like, oh, uh, he said, what word comes up as kindness all the time? Is it said?" I said, yeah, actually, the truth is there's actually one other that's not that in Hosea. Um, and, uh, when, and he was like, yeah, that word, said it's all about covenant relationship. It's actually, and this is what I found. Okay, this, so let me cut the chase for you instead of getting out of the, you're like, okay, enough of the. We're not at seminary, Tim. Let's bring it down. So th- this is why it's important. What I noticed every time was that the, every time the word kindness was used, it was used towards someone who they already had a deep relationship. Okay? So in other words, um, kindness in the Old Testament. Let me give you three examples. David. Who was David's best friend? We had a covenant. Jonathan. He had a covenant relationship with him. After Jonathan's dead, was killed in battle, and David becomes king, he wants to show kindness to Jonathan. And so he finds someone who he can show the kindness to that's connected to Jonathan. Who was that? Mephibosheth. And so a relative of Jonathan, and he's crippled, and, and they bring him in, and they serve him these meals. And he's going above and beyond what is expected of this relationship with he and Jonathan in order to show him kindness. It means going above and beyond for the one that you love. There's another one. Here's another one. Ruth with Naomi. Okay? She goes above and beyond any duty she has as a daughter-in-law who the the husband died. Her her husband died. She has no connection to Naomi, but she goes above and beyond instead. And Naomi says this. Instead of running off and and finding other another young guy to, to marry, you have come with me. You have shown me kindness. You have fulfilled much more than you needed to our covenant relationship. And then 
And then Boaz says the same thing. Her husband who said, you were kind to me by not running after younger men and instead connecting with me. You know, and as she's forming a covenant relationship with him. And now here's one last one. Okay, here's the third in the in the Old Testament. Abraham, this one's not as fun. Abraham, who does he have a covenant relationship with? One with God, but also with his wife. What's her name? Sarah, Sarah. And there's this moment where he says, Sarah, I know you love me. I want you to be extra kind to me. I want you to give me this kindness. When we see Pharaoh, tell him you're my sister and not because I'm scared. And so he actually asks her to do something that's not cool at all. But the way he couches that is he says, show this kindness. Go further in the relationship than you would expect necessary or even maybe help in order to lean into this love that we share. That's the Old Testament picture kindness. Something changes. There's a whole new picture when you get to the New Testament. This concept of kindness, it does something very, very different. All of a sudden, it's not that it's not about going the extra mile to, to go above and beyond for someone. It's about who we're going above. In the Old Testament, it was always for that person who they were in the covenant relationship with. In the New Testament, Jesus starts preaching certain on the mount. And who does he tell us to love? Our enemies. And who does he tell us to pray for? Those who persecute. And all of a sudden, it's people who we don't have any covenant relationship with at all. And yet, this word kindness starts to be thrown around. And there's this new concept that the way we're supposed to go above and beyond is not just for those we're in relationship with, but it changes the target of our kindness. Why? Well, that's what we're going to look at for the remainder of our time. Why? So turn with me to Romans 12, 17, 21. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Okay, that's about righteousness. Do what's right. Don't do what's evil. That's in the Old Testament. Verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's a good concept that's all the way through the Scriptures. If you can, live at peace with people. Okay? Verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. That's an Old Testament quote. Says the Lord. That's about what we talked about last week. Patience. Don't feel like we got to jump back and hammer someone. Give space. Let God do his thing. Trust God. So great. So peace and patience and goodness, all things that are in the top portion of this text. And then it says in verse 20, on the contrary. Okay? So not just that stuff, but on the contrary. In other words, going the extra mile beyond even more. Instead, do this. This is actually a quote from the Old Testament, which is funny. I'll tell you about that. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on his head. You want to heap burning coals on someone's head? <laughs> Solomon's, Solomon is the one who's saying this. It's really funny because what you find is, is there's a, the concept gets halfway there, doesn't it? I mean, the concept is, like, do something nice for the person who's being mean to you. But then, of course, the motivation underneath of it is to heap burning coals on their head. It's still got the Old Testament flavor there, doesn't it? Of, like, burn, you know? Like, I'm still mad at you, burn. But the way I'm going to do it is by being aloof and being bigger, and I'll do niceties to you. You can't touch me. I'm better than that. 
You know, that's kind of the feel of the Solomon prayer. You know, be bigger than that. Be better than that. Don't don't dabble down in that stuff. If that person is is uh, doing something mean to you, do something nice to them. Hey, and smirk at them. You know, that's a little, I'm not going to put words in Solomon's mouth. But that's kind of what it feels like when you're like, put burning coals on their head. You know, that's, but that's not what the New Testament is saying when it quotes. Watch, it frames the whole thing in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome And it tells us why we're doing it. Because evil is lurking. And evil is trying to take ground. Evil is trying to conquer my heart and my mind and my relationships and my friendship. And it says, don't be overcome. Instead, overcome evil. Overcome. Fight back. Rise above. This concept of going above and beyond for someone, it's war. That's what it is. It's an act of don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. I am to go above and beyond being kind to other people as an act of war. Let me explain how this works. In the Old Testament, God did God declare war? Did God ask his people to declare war? Yeah, of course he did. Is that the same God that we worship now? It's the same God that we worship now. In the Old Testament, he ordered genocide. Realize that? God ordered genocide. I don't know how to deal with that sometimes. I really don't. I'll be honest. I have a hard time with that. Very hard time. But it's the same God, and he doesn't change. I'm not saying he's ordering genocide, but what I am saying is that underneath of that is a principle about God that we need to understand, and that God will not let evil win. God will conquer evil. This is what he did in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he was trying to establish a physical nation in a physical land, and so he was taking people out of Egypt, and he did all sorts of powerful things, and he brought them to the Middle East, the place right now where Israel is, and he put them in that land, and he ordered them to fight their enemies and to, and to clear them out. And he called those people evil people because they were worshiping false gods and they were doing all sorts of stuff, and they had judgment coming is what God said. And they, they were his tool, but Israel was his tool to not only clear that land, but then it was going to be his, the seed that God plants, a physical nation that in covenant relationship with him would begin to reveal his character because they would obey his Ten Commandments and obey his laws, and he would be their God, and he would show his glory to them. He would reveal something different in them. So he, so he dedicated this physical nation on this physical land, and they fought physical wars. And the New Testament comes. The covenant changes. There's another covenant. The covenant is with a different group of people. The covenant is not with the nation of Israel. The covenant is with the children of God. And the children of God are those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's raising up a nation of people. We're told in First Peter that we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people. That's what we're told. And he's raising up this nation. And in that process, Jesus is declaring war. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of hosts. He comes on a horse that says faithful and true with fire in his eyes and a sword as a tongue. That's what we're told about Jesus. He comes to declare war, but this time it's not a physical war because this time the people, the kingdom that he's creating, it's not about a physical nation. It's a spiritual nation. And he's dealing with spiritual people and he's fighting a spiritual war. And our call as his followers is to hear the command, the gen. 
and to allow him to win a war. And when Jesus shows up, he starts preaching a sermon on the mount where he starts taking those old principles of the Ten Commandments, and now he takes that old law and he says, this is what it's going to look like in the new covenant. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I tell you, and he goes on to talk about extra mile. If someone strikes you on this cheek, turn and give them this one. This is how we declare war. We're not going to pick up a sword and fight Canaanites. What we're going to do is, when someone asks me to walk a mile, I say, how about two? And I'm declaring war with an act of kindness. Listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, look at this with me. Verse 3 and three to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. In the, in the King James, if you had that one memorized, it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That word. I don't know that. The weapons of our warfare, they're not the weapons of this world. What are the weapons of this world? Okay, guns. Yeah, so, I mean, there's like the physical warfare weapons that, that we use in military and all of that. And what he's saying, in the kingdom of God, we don't have those kind of weapons. We have different kind of weapons. But those aren't the only weapons of the world, right? We fight with each other all the time, but it's not always with guns and knives and bombs and all of that. We fight with each other with all sorts of things. What's more powerful than the sword? Words, the pen is mightier than the sword. Why? Because you can change what people think and you can hurt people with words. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will break my heart, you know? And they shatter us. And words, we fight with words, but but when we fight with words, we fight with certain kinds of And the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. Not only is God's war not fought with guns, but God's war is also not fought by fighting fire with fire. You don't come in the same spirit. When someone says something nasty about a Christian, should a Christian jump up and be like, what are you talking about? You don't know anything, and come back at them? When the world says bad stuff about the church, should the church turn back around and say bad stuff about the world? Is that how we're to act? We don't fight with the weapons of this world. We're given something very different. We're to war in the opposite spirit, and the effect is very different. Watch this. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. What does that mean? What it means is, is the war that's being waged right now is a war over our souls and over our minds. See, there is pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. See, the thoughts and feelings that I have that are just like every other thought and feeling in this world are informed by a set of faulty principles that say, I have rights, and if you infringe on my rights, I get frustrated, and my job is to defend those rights against you, and I'm going to hold my ground in all that kind of mentality. And that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, because the knowledge of God says, I don't have to defend myself, God defends me. The pretension is, is that, is that I have to take care of myself, that I'm self-dependent, I'm independent, as opposed to trusting God. And the thoughts and the feelings that I have that make me self-dependent are the schemes of the enemy to get me to think wrong. 
feel wrong. And the weapons of our warfare are capable of tearing down emotions, tearing down the wrong feelings and the wrong thoughts in our head that make us do things that aren't based on the kingdom of God. That's the way it works. Watch this. Ephesians 4, verse 25. You ever hear about in spiritual war, you've got to come in the opposite spirit? In the opposite spirit of what's being brought at you. If you turn to Ephesians 5, in verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and instead speak truthfully. To the opposite of falsehood, truth. To his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. See that? The devil is trying to get a foothold. And it says, if I go to bed and I'm mad, I'm giving the devil a foothold. Why? Because that pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ, something's happening in my head where I, if I'm mad at somebody and I have a bitter root in there, it means something in the way I'm thinking is wrong. And something in the way I'm feeling is wrong. And if I go to bed and let that sit there, it's going to inform the way I process. And the devil's going to start working. And he's going to start changing the way I think until I don't think right. And verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work and do something useful with his own hands. Watch this. The opposite of stealing is not working. Working is what we're supposed to do. He says, stop stealing, instead work. That just gets you back to square. But then he says this that he may have something to share with those in need. Coming in the opposite spirit isn't work hard for your money and then you do whatever you want. Coming in the opposite spirit is in a world of greed and theft and stealing. I should be full of charity and generosity. I work not so I can take care of business. I work so that I can give to those in need. That's coming in the opposite spirit. I don't just work just to take care of stuff. I work to build the kingdom of God. That's And it keeps going. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Holy cow, the bar is really high on this one. You know, it's one thing to say, don't gossip. Don't talk bad about someone behind their back. Don't use that nasty language. Don't, you know, slander someone and criticize. And, and it's one thing to say that. It's a whole other thing to say the only thing that should be coming out of our mouth is things that benefit other people. It's tough. And it says that those who listen should be benefited. So it's not just about the person who I'm talking about. It's about those who are listening should benefit from the conversation. Next time that I have a conversation, I'm frustrated about something. Think about everyone else who in the room who can hear it and think, is this benefiting their life? You know, is it benefiting their life? All right, here's where it goes. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed. So we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. So we were sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. He's in our hearts and it says, don't grieve him. Don't push him aside. Don't sadden him. So the way to do that is first by what we get rid of. We get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. This is the stuff that when I feel like I got to control my life, people are infringing all my rights and I have my control and my rights. I get mad when they mess with that up. So I, I, I get critical and I get slanderous and I get bitter and I get all that stuff, right? He said, get rid of let it go. And instead, verse 32, be there's our So if I'm not going to grieve the Holy Spirit, but instead I'm going to war by the Holy Spirit. You remember in the, in, in the end of Ephesians here, when it says you put on the armor of God, we are given one offensive weapon. What is it? The sword of the 
You want to go to war? You take the Spirit with you. And what the Spirit says is, I'm going to put away bitterness. I'm going to put away my slander. I'm going to put away all that. And the first thing I'm going to pick up with the Holy Spirit that's going to fight war is kindness. That's what I'm going to pick up. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God puts things in puts things in perspective. This is one of the verses that boys have to memorize in our house. Um, this is the Ephesians verse. So we had to write a song. To, we lots of lots of them will make songs up, you know, little jingles up too to help them memorize it. And this one goes: Be kind to one another, tender heart, forgiving one another as God in Christ. Okay. Really important song right before bed. Sing. Right before we go, it's kind of like a little bit of a lullaby song. And it's saying, hey, whatever that junk is, let it go. God, let it go with us. Let it go. And tomorrow, how can we not just forgive, but go above and beyond? And go the extra mile for the one who has been rough to me. Reminds me of someone who did that for me. No. He did it once for a woman who was about to be stoned to death. Adultery. He said, which one of you, you know, which one of you is ready to cast the stone? Which one? Because if you're righteous, you can cast the stone. But if not, then I'm going to have to judge you the same way you're judging her. And he extends kindness. He says, go and sin. Jesus does this incredible thing, and it's right here in Romans. This is where we see the character of God. Romans 4.2. I'm sorry, Romans 2.4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you to repentance? See, this is how God fights war in our life. Fights it If Jesus picked up the rock along with the Pharisees, and he stoned the woman who was caught in adultery, would she have repented? She would not. Jesus extended her kindness and told her to go and sin no more. Do you think she repented? Repent means to turn around, to change your thinking. I think she probably repented after that because Jesus extended her kindness. There's an interesting word here used, tolerance, kindness, tolerance, and patience. Patience we talked about last week. This word tolerance is a dangerous word in our society. Because tolerance means that you can't call sin sin, call spade a spade, that we got to tell everyone that they're okay. But tolerance isn't a bad word. Tolerance is a great word. What tolerance actually means is, is that we can name that that actually is sin, that thing you're doing. But it's okay. I'm not going to slam you because you're sin. I am going to call it sin. But I'm not going to slam you. Is God tolerant? He's Otherwise, Adam and Eve would have left the garden in a box. The only way they would have left was to The adulterous woman, she wouldn't have walked away. Neither would those Pharisees who were about to stone. They all would have gone away in box. God wasn't tolerant. He's extremely tolerant, extremely patient. But he goes above and beyond his tolerance. And he shows. He not only gives us space, but even when we are acting in horrific ways against him, while we are still sinners, Christ died. Christ died. Best picture I know of God's kindness happens on the night that Jesus is betrayed. 
and uh, he's in the garden and he's sweating blood and um, things are terrible. You know, everyone's kind of leaving him alone and not helping him out. And he comes out to from his prayer and he finds them sleeping and he says, get up, here comes my betrayer. Judas comes up and he gives him a kiss and he says, you're going to betray me with a kiss? Then they say, Jesus says to his captors, he says, who is it you're looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. It's this awesome moment where Jesus says, I am he. And when he does, everyone falls down. The whole place falls down, we're told. Why do they fall down? They're blown over by the spiritual authority that just happened. Because in this moment that's about to be terribly horrific, when anyone else, and especially me, would want to run from that kind of pain, Jesus looks into it, and he's declaring war, and he's declaring himself as king of kings, and he's a suffering king. And the way that he's going to establish his kingdom is through this moment of suffering. And so he steps in and says, yeah, the one who you're trying to beat up right now, hey, that's me. Leave these guys alone. I got it. And when he steps forward, boom, they fall down. They get back up again, and one guy comes over, and he goes to put a hand on Jesus And when he does, there's another guy standing next to Jesus who goes by the name of Simon Peter, and he goes, and he pulls his sword out, the weapon of warfare that is carnal. And he goes and he goes to take a swing with it. And what happens in this moment? He's not just defending Jesus. He's taking control of the situation. And what happened is that there was a moment not that long before when he was way up in Syrophoenicia, and and he said up there in Caesarea Philippi, he said to Jesus, when Jesus said, who do they say that I am? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you, Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you because what you just heard, you heard from God, not from your own mind. So you're so in tune with God and declaring what it is that God's saying, trusting him, that it means the gates of hell will not prevail against you. You are going to ram the gates of hell. You are going to take ground on my behalf and you're going to blow the doors off and hell can't stand against you. And then the next moment, Jesus says, I got to go and I got to die. And Peter says, we're not going to let that happen. He turns around to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. And in this moment in the garden, when Peter unsheathes his sword, he forgot that he was to submit to Jesus in this new kingdom. And instead, he decides he's going to take control and make things go the way he thinks they should. And as soon as he unsheaths that sword and takes the ear off of that guard, Jesus says, put the sword away. Those who live by the sword, die by the sword. You want control of your life? It's not going to work out well. It's not going to work out. The more you try to control, the less effective it's going to be. The more you have faith, the more effective it's going to be. Trusting God. We're trusting God. And sometimes that means that someone else has hit me on the cheek, and i got to turn the other cheek. Sometimes it means someone's growling at me at a meal where I'm trying to serve them stuff, And they're barking at me, and I have to say, can I get you dessert? Because we realize that we are called to war. We are called to fight. You ever heard the phrase, kill them with kindness? Who are we trying to kill? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Think about the person right now who angers you, who frustrates you. Think about that person who has hurt you. Think about that wound, that scar, that difficult person in your life. Think about them, and remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. They are not the enemy. The enemy is the one who is setting up a false pretension in their mind, keeping them from seeing the truth. And our job is to fight the demons in their life by showing kindness 
when they mean to. That's our job, to go the extra mile. That when this person's trying to arrest me and they get their ear cut off, I pick up their ear and I put it back on their head and I heal them and I show them incredible kindness. And from that moment on, Jesus starts a campaign of kindness and he wins the rest of the night. Pilate, all worried about crucifying Jesus, you remember what he says to Pilate? Those who handed you over are they're guilty of much greater comforts by Father, forgive them, for they know not kindness is all as Jesus is declaring war against the kingdom of darkness, establishing the kingdom of the weapon that he's given us the world is a weapon. And I don't know about you, but I don't find it easy when I'm really angry at someone to just go the extra mile and do something really nice. The job isn't just to keep cold. The job is to free them and bring them to the kingdom. Because love conquers a multitude of sins. Light conquers darkness. Truth kills the deception. And our job is to be warriors, wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Max. Good?